This sermon is called For Sometimes. For Sometimes. But before we get to this morning's message, a whirlwind review. Last time in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, we saw three things. Number one, we saw that God and his plan of salvation are big. That means that Gentiles, and not just Jews, Gentiles, and also so-called hopeless sinners can be saved by Jesus Christ. Amen? The second thing we saw is that we ourselves must not accept any spiritual cataracts. Cataracts literally cloud our vision, and sometimes we can have spiritual cataracts. And sometimes our spiritual vision can be impaired because we somehow think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is only for a select, narrow group of persons that resemble us. That is not true. On God's eye chart, as provided through the Holy Scriptures, God's salvation is for everyone who will believe in Christ. Whosoever will may come to Christ. They may not look or resemble us at all, but they are welcome in this church to become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? God is big. His plan of salvation is big. We don't want to have spiritual cataracts to narrow the scope of his saving grace. Number three, we saw last time in the passage previous that we need to trust God and we need to obey him. Trust and obey should be one of the major theme musical tracks of our lives on earth because trusting and obeying will be a major theme of our worship in glory forever. That's what we saw last message. And now this morning, we continue in Acts chapter 10, jumping in at verse 19 and reading through verse 23. So take your Bibles or your devices that have Bibles on your devices. Since there's no projection, I hope I'll hear the rustling of pages. Acts 10, 19 through 23. Let's stand to read God's word this morning. Let's stand. Acts 10, 19 to 23, and I'm going to lead us in reading it. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you are seeking. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. You may be seated. In these verses just read, I see four timeless truths. I've said they are four points beginning with the words sometimes. Sermon title, four sometimes. The first, let me overview the four and then we'll dig into them. 
These are the four timeless truths in these verses. Number one, sometimes the Lord's ways are so unexpected that we have to really think about them for a while. The second truth in the verses, sometimes the Lord connects the dots for us so we can understand and obey. Third point today, sometimes we particularly know that it's time to report for a particular duty to obey the Lord's particular command. And fourth, sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. Four sometimes. Let's pick them apart individually now. Starts with the first one. Sometimes the Lord's ways are so unexpected, we have to really think about them for a while. That's what happened to Peter. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision. Peter was thinking about the vision because the vision in the previous verses was so unexpected to him, he just had to think about it. He had to ponder. He had to let it wave over him. He had to step back and pause. Sometimes the Lord's ways are so unexpected to us too that we really have to think about them for a while. I mean, to this point, to this vision, in the previous verses, God has raised a sheet, as it were, in a vision for Peter of animals that the Jewish dietary laws said were unclean for Jews to eat. And this sheet in the vision God had given to Peter lowered slowly from heaven and God pronounced those creatures clean, edible. That was so unexpected that the Mosaic law as it pertained to dietary laws for the Jews, God was saying grace has overturned it. You can now eat the things you once were not allowed to eat. So Peter was thinking about that. He was having to think about that because he was perplexed about that. And then, as it were, a doorbell rang to say, the Spirit said to him, there's somebody at your door. But still on this point that the Lord's ways sometimes are so unexpected we have to really think about them for a while, there's other examples of that in Scripture. Plenty of them, actually. The little boy, Samuel, lying on his bed, awakened three times by an audible voice of God calling his name. And after Eli told him to answer the voice the next time by saying, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. And then God spoke to the little boy Samuel and told him that a stern divine judgment was coming upon Eli, the little boy's spiritual foster father mentor. Imagine, you're a little boy. You had a sleepless night. God's called you three times by name. You go to your mentor. He says, next time say, speak, Lord, for thy servant's listening. And then God tells you, Eli 
is going to experience my severe divine judgment for his sin. Don't you think that little boy didn't sleep the rest of the night? He needed time to think about something that was so unexpected to him he never would have imagined. Or the Virgin Mary. After Christ's miraculous birth, Luke 2 said, but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. It was such an unexpected blessing for a virgin teenage Jewish girl to have a baby without having sexual intimacy and that the baby would be the Messiah of Israel, that the miracle child would be God in flesh. And the 16-year-old, after giving birth to the Savior, had to treasure these things in her heart. She had to ponder these things in her heart. She had to think about these things carefully. Sometimes God's ways are so unexpected to us that we just have to think about them for a while. And here in our text, Peter had to reflect on God's loosening of the Mosaic Law's dietary codes. He had to really think about it. He had to pause. He had to get alone. He needed to reflect on it in quiet and prayer. And so it is for us. So it is for us. Sometimes when we come to God's word, what we see on the page is so unexpected, even though we may have known the Lord for decades, it's so unexpected, it hits us afresh and anew that sometimes we just have to think about it for a while. You know what that means? That means that a life that's too busy to that kind of thinking is altogether too busy. If I am an overly busy believer that has no time to think about what God shows me in his word that I don't expect he's going to show me, then I'm just too busy, and it's sin. And I need to repent of being so busy that I don't have time to adequately think about something that was unexpected to me that God's shown me from his word. You know, sometimes I think in our culture, when we ask somebody, how are you, and Typically, we might say, oh, I'm busy. But what I think sometimes when we say, I'm busy, and we hear, he's busy, we think that's a red badge of courage, somehow a gold star on our calendar, a ribbon to pin on our shirt. Busyness in and of itself is not commendable. If we're so busy we don't have time to think about what God tells us in his word. The way you might look at it, is if you're standing on the concrete sidewalk courtyard of our church building after church and there's squares of concrete, poured concrete, you want to see it that your life should be so structured to the best of your ability that you're standing near the center of a square of the concrete. So there's a margin on every side of you, a margin front, a margin to the back, a margin to the side, a margin to the other side. So you're not up to the edge of any side of the concrete. 
When we live so close to the edge in our lives without any margin for the unexpected, it's not a healthy place to live. So we want to live to the best of our abilities so that we have a margin to help others, a margin to give to something that needs money that we might be able to share with, a margin to listen to a person in crisis, a margin to let the Word of God speak to us in ways we've never let it speak to us, on issues we've never let it speak to us on. But if we are so frenetically busy, our calendars and our devices are so jam-packed that we do not have time to step back and to really think about something God has shown us in Scripture that we didn't expect, then we're too busy and it's a sin. So it's possible that you could ask me, how are you, Pastor Rob? It's possible that I could say I'm busy and that means I was sinning. God speaks about idleness in his word. He doesn't want us to be idle. But he also speaks to us about being overly busy. When we're too busy to pause and think about biblical truth that we've not expected to see before, then we're too busy. And we need to repent. This is also true because God's ways are unexpected at times to us because they're so far above our ways. You know the verses, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we have an infinite God with infinite ways revealed to us in his word. And so we better leave margin to think about things that he shows us in his word that are above us, that are new to us that need our consideration, our meditation, our obedience. And so, sometimes, God's ways are so unexpected to us that we have to really think about them for a while. The second point, sometimes the Lord connects the dots for us so we can understand and obey. In verses 19 and 20, that's what the Lord did graciously for Peter. He connected some dots for him. For instance, in 19 and 20, the Lord said, dot one, okay, there's th the doorbell's ringing, there's three guys waiting to take you away, to see you, dot one. Then God connects to dot two, go wherever they take you. Dot three, don't worry about going along with them, I love it, doubting nothing. Dot four, the three men have been sent by me, God says to Peter. And so sometimes, thank God, he graciously connects the dots for us with respect to his will for us so that we can understand and we can obey. Sometimes God does that. So gracious. I mean, here's Peter already totally perplexed about the once Mosaic law dictated unclean food. So the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to connect four dots for you, Peter, to help you understand my will for you right now and to obey me. I love that. And so we should be grateful when we are living our Christian lives, when the Lord connects some dots for us so we can see what's going on. He doesn't have to do that. You know why? Because he's worthy of our blind obedience. God is worthy of my blind obedience. He doesn't have to connect dots for me to expect me to obey him. He expects me to obey him with whether I, he connects some dots for me or he doesn't. 
and so it is with you. I mean, <laughs> ask Joshua about he and his army circling the walled city of Jericho six times and then seven more times. God didn't connect dots for Joshua, he just to do it. And Joshua did it. Or why don't you ask the leper Naaman, <laughs> washing seven times in a muddy river to be cleansed. God didn't connect any dots for Naaman the leper. He just said, go wash in the dirty water. And he did, and he was cleansed. God is worthy of our blind obedience. He does not owe us connection of any dots. But sometimes, in his kindness, he connects dots for us so we can understand and we can obey. But obey him whether or not he connects dots. Verse 20, arise therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I sent them. When you don't have the dots connected, but you know what the word of God tells you to do, when you do it, you are doubting nothing and pleasing God. And so sometimes the Lord connects the dots for us so that we can understand and we can obey. Point three, sometimes we particularly know it's time to report for a particular duty, to obey the Lord's particular command. I want you to picture yourself on the job tomorrow morning and a given for you as an employee at your job is that you do what your employer asks you to do. That's the, way you, that's the way you ought to be as an employee. But can you imagine tomorrow morning if your boss calls you into his or her office to speak to you directly and says, you know, uh, Billy, uh, this is what you normally do for us, but this week, we want you to do A, B, and C this week. This is what you need to do, Billy. We're counting on you to do A, B, and C. Wow. You have a, now you have a choice. As Billy, you have a choice. You can sense that this is big because your boss called you in to personally tell you, or you can fluff it off. You can report to duty to your boss and say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, I'm going to do A, B, and C this week, and I'll do the best of my ability. Of course, that's the right thing to do. With God Almighty, sometimes we have a sense that he's called us into his office and to tell us, child of God, this week, I want you to do A, B, and C. And the right response is to say, yes, Lord. With your help, I will do A, B, and C this week. Sometimes we particularly know that it's time to report for a particular duty to obey the Lord's particular command. Told you about little boy Samuel. He figured that out as a little boy in the middle of the night. Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. Beautiful. Yielded ready, open. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? 
You know, there are few things more exciting in the Christian life than responding properly to God's personal challenge and commission to do something he has for you to do. Few things are more exciting. I mean to report to God for duty. I mean to step up to obey. I mean to surrender to the captain of your salvation. I mean to salute the divine authority over your redeemed life. I mean to present your body as a living sacrifice. I mean to pledge to your Lord anything, anywhere, anytime obedience. There's few things more exciting. And I trust that you know that exhilaration because you realize that sometimes there are particularly known times to report for particular duties signed by God to have particular obedience on your part. I can think of those times in my life Particular times, sometimes in my life, when I knew that there were particular duties that God was calling me to. And there were particular instances where I needed particular obedience to those duties that he was giving me to do. I think of my conversion. Just a little boy in a child evangelism good news club in my parents' garage. I didn't know any theology, but I knew I was a sinner. I believe that Jesus loved me and died on the cross for me, shedding his blood to make the cleansing of my sin possible and asking me to trust him and only him to be my personal Lord and Savior. That was such a moment for me. I think of another moment after that. In my Baptist church in Toronto when the pastor was preaching about water baptism, and I sensed that I had a particular duty to obey the Lord in the waters of baptism, to profess my faith in Jesus Christ and my desire to follow him with my life. And I obeyed in a particular way. I think of after the University of Toronto and God calling me to study at Word of Life Bible Institute, Scroon Lake. I thought I was going to be in my family's funeral business, but God said no. He impressed on my heart. He called me to duty. He said, in my heart, not audibly, I want you to study my words so you know my will. And he led me to Word Life Bible Institute, and I began to study God's word, which brought me to Romans 12, 1 and 2, the need to be for me to the duty for me to present my life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service of worship. And I dutifully obeyed. And then I think after the time after Word of Life, God calling me to seminary, feeling very inadequate to be a pastor teacher, but nonetheless, I sensed that God particularly was giving me the duty of preparing at a seminary to become a pastor teacher for a flock of God somewhere. And so I dutifully obeyed. I think of how I met Beth at the seminary and not proud to tell you, but so much of my dating life before meeting Beth was the thought, is that woman good enough for me? Not proud to say that. But God impressed upon me when I met Beth Wisenhunt. The question wasn't that, but the question rather was, am I good enough for her?
Can I be a spiritual leader for her if our relationship gets serious? And so I prayed about even asking her for a date. When God gave me freedom to ask her, I did. But in my heart of hearts, I was responding to a particular duty that God was giving to me, whatever our relationship would look like, that I would lead her in godly ways as a date, as a potential mate. Particular duties that God has called me to that I, by his grace, have particularly responded to in obedience. Or I think of the first church I pastored in St. Mary's, Ontario, and really was struggling with perfectionism and self-reliance and various things. And God impressed upon me through Galatians 2.20 that I've been crucified with Christ. And there's been an exchange of life, Christ's life for my old life. And anything I could do that would have eternal consequence and benefit would be Christ living his life through me by the Holy Spirit. And I dutifully understood I had to reckon that to be so and stop trying to please God through a performance as being a pastor. I dutifully obeyed. I could go down the line all the way to the present time. Coming to be your pastor in twenty early 2015, and then before COVID, having the heart conviction that God wants to do a new thing at Calvary Bible Church, Nassau. Not that we haven't been making fully committed followers of Jesus Christ prior to that, but to do it more effectively and more efficiently and more focused in a more focused way. And to, to, along with the other leaders of our assembly, to courageously and obediently report for duty to lead this precious assembly into a new way of doing ministry, a simple way of doing ministry, a reduction of ministries so that we would have a viable lesser amount of ministries, but they'd be focused and effective in making fully committed followers of Christ. So I look over my life there were many particular times, precious times, particular times, when God has shown me what is my particular duty to step up and to do. And when I've had his help to step up and to particularly obey those particular duties, there's been great blessing and peace. And all of you have your own stories. It's a sometimes God impresses upon us through his word particular duties that he wants us to do and he expects us to do them in a particular obedience. God bless us as we do that. The fourth and final point, the fourth sometimes in our verses, is sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. Sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. I see that in verses 22 and 23. And they said, these are the guys that came to Peter, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house 
and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Cornelius, a Jewish convert to Judaism, is described in glowing terms by these three messengers. He's called a centurion, a just man, one who fears God, and watch now, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. Sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. The same kind of a description is given by God the Holy Spirit as he inspired Dr. Luke to write verse 2 of chapter 10 about Cornelius, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Friends, that ought to motivate us to have a good testimony for Christ. That sometimes... When we have a good testimony for Jesus Christ, we see widespread respect. That ought to motivate us to live holy. Sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. Let me give you some examples pertaining to Calvary Bible Church. Are you aware that our founding pastor, Earl Weech, had such a good testimony in this city and in this country that when this church building was being built and we needed a crane to do some of the upper work, that Sir Roland Simonet produced a crane on this property the next morning for that work? Are you aware that as this building was being built, Sir Roland Simonet so far as I know, not connected to Calvary Bible Church at that time, said this church should have sidewalks for the people who come to worship at Calvary Bible Church. And so we built sidewalks on Collins Avenue. Sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. I think also I've been told of the members of this assembly who have served in politics well the country knowing that so-and-so, who's in such and such an office, most recently our Chief Justice, but others before our Chief Justice, members of Calvary Bible Church, because of their good testimonies, were given widespread respect. Echoes of Calvary, our radio program, the longest-running Christian radio program in the Caribbean. Do you know how many people listen to Echoes of Calvary on the family islands? Plenty. Sometimes a good testimony brings widespread respect. Awana, first Awana club in the nation, club number one. The children that came through our Awana clubs impacted for Christ, changed and saved by the Savior. Calvary Bible Church, that's where they do Awana, right? Sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. Our Christian Counseling Center, do you realize the clients have come to the Christian Counseling Center not just from all over Nassau, but from the family islands and beyond in the Caribbean for help? Sometimes a good testimony brings widespread respect. 
Operation Inasmuch, our feeding ministry. Do you realize that the souls who come to the ministry on Wednesdays have a widespread respect for Calvary Bible Church? They do. Because you and I have tried to maintain a good testimony. Do you realize that no matter what the financial conditions have been for our assembly over our 60 years, that we have paid our bills to our creditors promptly? We pay our bills. We have a good testimony. And we have widespread respect. Do you know that Pastor Arnett served on the steering committee when Dr. Billy Graham came to do an evangelistic crusade in Nassau? Our own Pastor Annette headed that Billy Graham committee, as far as I know, bringing Dr. Graham to our country. Sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. Do you realize that Teleos, Pastor Lee's training institute for making fully committed followers of Christ that's now gone online, has reached out and impacted scores of Christians in their churches, in their families, in their marriages. Sometimes a good testimony for Christ brings you wide respect. Do you realize that there are neighbors around our property, who live around our property, that have no formal connection to our church, that respect our church so much that they have intervened at risks to their own lives to prevent crimes being perpetrated against Calvary Bible Church? It's true. It's happened more than once. Why? Because sometimes the good testimony for Christ brings widespread respect. I was talking to a man on the phone two weeks ago. He lives in Florida now. He's a pastor. But he was raised in this neighborhood. And Pastor and Sister Annette, you might get a smile out of this. He said, yes, Pastor Elliot, I know Calvary Bible Church very well. I grew up in the neighborhood. And in fact, my friends and I as little boys, when we rode our bicycles past the Christian Counseling Center, we all silenced ourselves. Shh. We didn't know what was going on in there, but we didn't want to disrupt it. That's something. Sometimes having a good testimony for Christ will bring widespread respect. Do you know why I say sometimes? <laughs> I say sometimes because it does, doesn't always. You can have a good testimony for Christ and you are not respected. You know why? Because Jesus Christ makes some people mad. And the gospel angers some people who reject it. And the dark hates the light, and the wicked hate the righteous. And a good testimony convicts those who are in rebellion against God, and they don't like it. And disrespecting those who respect the Lord is a common attempt to justify personal sin. So I'm saying and teaching you that on the one hand, Having a good testimony for Jesus Christ sometimes brings widespread respect. I've given you all kinds of examples. But sometimes having a good testimony for Jesus Christ brings down person's displeasure with you. So, 
2 Corinthians 5, 9 should be on our hearts, which says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent from the body, to be well-pleasing to him, Christ. We strive to have a good testimony. That means we work hard to have a good testimony for Christ. That means we give up some personal freedoms if necessary to have a good testimony for Christ. That means we accept living in a fishbowl if it means having a good testimony for Christ. It means sometimes steering away as possible from sin and even from the appearance of sin. There's a person seated in our sanctuary today who when he was younger was told by his boss to go to a certain bar to buy the boss a conch salad lunch every day. And he did what he was told until a child spoke to him in the context of a ministry of this church and said, why should I listen to you? You go to such and such a bar every day for lunch. Thank you. This young employee went to the bar to get his boss a conch salad every day until a child in one of our ministries said to him, why should I listen to you? Because you go to the bar every day for lunch. So wisely, the young employee, Christian employee, said to his boss, sir, I can't get your lunch at the bar anymore. It's hurting my testimony for Christ. Could you ask someone to do that for you instead of me? Sometimes to have a good testimony for Christ, you have to be mindful of the appearance of evil and avoid it. Sometimes a good testimony for Christ leads to widespread respect. It did for Cornelius. But what if you have a good testimony for Christ with your unsaved mate and he's given you a hard time? What if you have a good testimony for Christ on your workplace and your coworkers just make sport of you? What about that? What about if you have a good testimony for Christ in the business world and people get one leg up on you financially because you maintain a good testimony for Christ and they don't? What about that? 1 Peter 3, 14 to 17 is what about that? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, you, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, may be ashamed. Listen now. For it is better... If it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I thank God for the good testimony for Christ that this church has had over 60 years. And I, along with you, commit ourselves to maintaining that good testimony. Amen? So we've seen four sometimes in this passage. I want you to pick on one to work on this week with the Holy Spirit. First, sometimes the Lord's ways are so unexpected we have to really think about them for a while. 
Two, sometimes the Lord connects the dots for us so that we can understand and obey. Three, sometimes we particularly know that it's time to report for a particular duty to obey the Lord's particular command. And last, sometimes a good testimony leads to widespread respect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for these timeless truths. We pray. We pray, Lord, we'd have a good testimony for our Savior. Where we may need to confess sin and may need to personally repent, we pray that we would. But Lord, may the foundation of Jesus Christ, which has been built upon by the pastors that preceded me and by the Calvary Bible Church saints that have preceded all of us to glory, may we enhance and further and preserve and conserve and maintain a good testimony for Jesus Christ in all things. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy of our blind obedience when we don't have any dots connected. We are worthy. And we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.